So as you know, if you watch the news at all, you know there's a lot happening in our world right now. 2020 has been a crazy year, and there's some things that we as believers need to pay really particular attention to and how we engage and have conversations, not with just our families and people that we work with, but with the young people that we work with. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to have some really honest conversations about how we as believers can engage in what's happening in our world. Welcome to the Ministry Leader Podcast, where every week we explore ministry practices to help leaders leverage their limited time for greater impact with young people. I'm your host. My name's Brian. Here we go. Get up. Get up. So today, as you know, last week was Chase's last episode on the podcast. So I'm kind of flying solo, sort of, today, but I do have a friend here with me that we're going to have some some really fun conversation. Uh, Scott Smiley is here with me today. He is my brother in Christ, my coworker, my friend who happens to be African-American. And so we are going to have some conversations about race in America and how we as believers how Scott and I particularly how have engaged in this conversation with one another, um, maybe to help you engage in conversations where you're at. So, Scott, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, it's yeah. a pleasure to be here. Yeah, so um, I mentioned that uh, we're friends. You're my friend. And I just want to tell a story of why I know that. So we've known each other for a couple of years now. And um, you're a man of many names, by the way. Right. 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 <laughs> um, when you, I remember when you started on staff here, um, nobody knew how to introduce you. You were Ephraim. You were Scott. You were Smiley. You were Coach. Um, and I think on staff still, everybody calls you something different. Is that right? That's about right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, we don't have to go into the history of all of this necessarily, but I've always called you Ephraim because Ephraim is your name. Right. 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 Ephraim is your first, first name. name. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So. Um, I address people, I try and address people uh, by their first name. Um, And so this was probably, I don't know how many years of knowing each other and talking with each other. We were talking one day and I was like, what do you want to be called? (laughs) And what did you tell me? I told you that uh, my government name is Ephraim, but my family calls me Scott. Yeah. And you said, I think you even said in my my family and my friends call me Scott. Mm -hmm. And I said, can I call you Scott? And you said, yeah. And I was like, yes, we're friends. (laughs) (laughs) That meant something to me. So Scott, tell us um, just a little bit about yourself. You're from Fort Wayne, correct? Yes. I grew up uh, on the Southeast side of Fort Wayne. Um, I'm a graduate of Southside High School. And I also am a graduate of Taylor University in Upland. Basketball stud too, right? Pretty much. Yep. (laughs) That's where the name coach comes from. (laughs) Right, right, right. Actually, uh, basketball was an activity that I feel uh, kept me out of a lot of trouble and kept me focused on doing things that would allow me to um, become a better person, a better student, and, you know, just it put me in position to be successful in life. And you've carried that passion over um, to running a basketball ministry now too, correct? Yes, it's called Character and Skills Basketball. Yeah, and tell us a little bit about that. Well, we serve kids ages three to college age, and we help them to strive for excellence on the court, in the classroom, at home, and in the community. Yeah. So same same neighborhood that you grew up in? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And uh, so just for a little bit more background too, Scott is our city life director in Southeast Fort Wayne, where he grew up. So kind of back in the same community, engaging with young people in that community. So if you are part of Youth for Christ, you're familiar likely with the city life model. Um, and so that's what Scott leads for our team here in Northern Indiana on that, that side of Fort Wayne. So grateful to have you here, Scott. Glad you could join me. Um, we wanna just have a conversation today. Um, we're not going to be interviewing each other. We're just going to have a conversation. So it's going to feel maybe a little different than our typical podcast episodes. But um, Scott, I want to, let's just talk about like, you and I have had some good conversations in, in recent years. Um, and they probably haven't all been super challenging, but it's been fun. Like mm-hmm. we've had a, a mm-hmm. good, good dialogue with just even about each other's family mm-hmm. and things like that. And so um, I want to, kind of start this conversation by a a story you shared with me at a staff retreat. Mm -hmm. Um, um, And I I share this because uh, it kind of speaks to your experience a little bit. And I want you to maybe share as much of that as you feel comfortable. Um, And I want to share how I, in that moment, responded and how now I might respond differently since then. Okay. Okay. So, um, if you remember, we were at a staff retreat at Grace College, and we were at a time, I think you had just arrived. Did you just arrive at that point? Uh, we were in these breakout sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so <laughs> the background of the story is we our staff was split up into multiple little breakout groups, and I was leading one of them, and no one really showed up to my breakout session. No one cared what I had to say, I guess. <laughs> So um, it was me and Brad, another guy that we worked with at the time, and and Ephraim that I called him at the time, uh, walks in, and you were um, you were distraught. I could see emotionally you were drained. You were upset about something. Can you share a little bit about what had just happened? What you just experienced entering into that? Well, if I'm remembering correctly, I was at a Walmart and. Upon checking out, I had my bag. I had everything that I had purchased, my receipt intact. Um, leaving the store with, you know, with my children uh, accompanying me, and we got stopped. And the the greeter who stands by the exit asked to see my receipt and check my bag, mm-hmm. and that infuriated me because. I was just, I, I felt like I was being racially profiled because I had seen other customers leave and their bags not be checked. Mm. Yeah. And I remember hearing that, feeling for you, and then trying to be extremely loving and compassionate and saying, you know, that's happened to me recently too. Um, trying to communicate empathy, and mm. I've experienced that. Um, and I look at that now and I wonder why you didn't punch me in the face in that moment, (laughs) because I don't know that what I was trying to communicate was what I was actually communicating. Well, the reason why I did not take what you said out of context or in the spirit in which I believe you said it is because we had a friendship prior to that incident. Mm -hmm. If you were saying that as to like make me feel as though what I felt was not valid, then my reaction would have been more hurt. I mm. would I would never 
punch anybody for not being able to relate to things that I have to go through on a daily basis. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think, so I had been on a little bit of a journey of understanding at that point. Not much. I, I truly credit my wife in this, um, who about a decade ago um, began to get involved in, like, just change her thinking of who she was listening to, what she was reading, and really beginning to wrap her head around um justice issues, social justice issues in a way that neither one of us grew up understanding or knowing. Um, and she really pushed me. Um, I, I challenged a lot of what she said early on, um, because I, it was so, it was unfamiliar territory for me. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm grateful for the fact that she continued to push and continued to lean in and got me on this journey too. And so in that moment, I was probably a couple years down the road and still saying stupid things. Um, and still probably do and made today, even as we talk. Um, but I was grateful in that moment as I reflect for the grace that you showed me, um, and the intention with which you understood I was trying to communicate. Um, but it, it opened my eyes, Scott, to, to beginning to recognize more that your experience growing up is quite different than my experience growing up. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I think that's what people don't pay attention to right now. I think that's one of the bigger issues. So um, can you talk a little bit about some of the things that you've experienced um, that you maybe attribute to being African-American and how your experience may be different than mine growing up? Sure. I think of it as like death by paper cut to walk by. <laughs> what does that mean? I, I, I'll explain. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so... For instance, walking by a car and seeing the owner lock the doors or walking by somebody in a parking lot and them frantically turn around to lock their doors uh, to see uh, customers treated with what I would call um, exceptional service that might not look like me and then me get or me and my family get service that is not of the same caliber um, to walk in a room and not be greeted and then see somebody who doesn't look like me who walks in that same room and gets high fives and so forth. Uh, just a series of events similar to what I just described is what I liken to death by paper cut. Like they're just little things that continuously happen. And therefore, when you look at the Walmart situation, when you could look at it as though it was just a happenstance, all those other times where things happen that did not happen to others that did not look like you, it, it starts to weigh on you and it starts to make you feel as though what I feel in my heart is true, that this was racial profiling. This was mm -hmm. an action that was taken because of the color of my skin. Yeah. And those are things I think... Um, I don't see, and I haven't, not that they have not been happening all around me, um, but because it doesn't happen to me, I've had the luxury, I guess, or the word privilege gets thrown around a lot right now, um, of not seeing it. And so when I hear, when I hear you say that, I think a few years ago, I would even say like, I don't understand. Like that's, I, I don't get that. Um, 
But there was a moment, uh, I'm grateful for the organization with which we serve that has growing diversity. Um, I don't know how you feel about it. Um, as a, you know, for me as a white man coming into this organization that had at the time, I think one African-American staff member mm -hmm. to see the number of, um, you know, women grow and African-American number grow on our staff. And um, like, we're just growing in diversity and I'm super grateful for that. Um, so that was the number one. Number two, we've had some really honest conversations as a team in recent weeks and months. And um, just hearing, like, I remember because of coronavirus, we've been on Zoom. And right. so we've rarely been face-to-face -face in the last three months. And creating space, even in a digital way through Zoom, that our African-American brothers and sisters on our staff shared some of those very experiences, very specifics, um, broke me more than um, maybe I have in the past in conversations that you and I have had. Mm -hmm. But now it's a broader group of individuals that I love and care about sharing very similar things. Um, and so I would, man, I would just encourage if, if, if you're not surrounded with diversity, like, Pay attention to what's happening. Listen to people you don't normally listen to. Listen to the experiences of others who grew up differently than you. Um, it has opened my eyes in in new ways. And and Scott, I'll I want to give you an, another opportunity to share a little bit more. Um, one of the things that I remember about that particular conversation is um, Sharon. Um, sharing about an experience that her son had when he was 10 um, in a store and was accused of shoplifting. And I think it was a, a white woman at the, the register or whatever, at the door or whatever, it came out. And regardless of, like, color of her skin matters in the story, but regardless of that, it was the color of his skin right. that um, was the concern in this moment. She drags him back in and accuses him of shoplifting um, when he's 10 years old. I have a 10 year old son and I would be, I can't tell you how angry and frustrated I would be if that was him. Mm -hmm. um, but I know we would get up and we would move on. Life would go back to quote unquote normal. But the way that shaped him growing up and the things that changed about his behavior um, and the, the, the conversations that op opened up in that moment were enlightening to me. Mm -hmm. And I remember another staff member, uh, Reggie, saying, you know, hearing that story makes me, like, I don't even remember, like, I don't even on a daily, I've changed so many things about my behavior when I enter a public place, when I enter a store, that I don't even recognize I'm doing it anymore. Um, so just wonder if that's kind of been your experience too, that the, as you walk in, do you feel like you have to present yourself differently? You have to change mannerisms because people look at you differently? That's a great question. Typically, I do not like leaving the house without a certain standard of dress on mm. when I know I'm going into a store. Um, 
that's less of the case now than it was earlier on in my life mm. because I've been able to climb the quote-unquote corporate ladder. I feel as though I'm not as worried about how I'm dressed because the way I express myself and the way I project uh, might, it might ease people's defenses that or whatever way they might receive me because of the color of my skin, I think I can make up for in the way that I carry myself, which is an episode in itself. For um, sure. I have noticed that when my kids are with me, I usually get looks that are affirming, welcoming, and so forth. And when I'm by myself in stores, I do not receive that same type of feel in the way that people uh, receive me. So I'm I'm very big on uh, just having a pulse on how I'm being received. And so walking in the stores, you know, whether my kids are with me or not, I am observant of who's, who's watching me, mm-hmm. what are their reactions as they're watching me, and so forth. Some days are better in, in, than others in that regard, you know, uh, as a believer, I know that in Christ, there is no Jew, Gentile, black, white, or so mm-hmm. forth. So if I'm in that train of thought, then I'm not worried so much about what the world says of me or what the world might think of me. And therefore, my experience at the store will be less intimidating, less draining. And so uh, I try as hard as I can to remember who I am in Christ and allow Uh, the world's perception of me to fade to the background as much Mm -hmm. as possible. But the reality is we are human beings having a spiritual experience and therefore we do have the flesh. We do have the spirit and to be alive, you will have moments of flesh and you will have moments of spirit. And it's just trying to regulate those to the best of your ability that allows you to carry on in this world that we live in in a in the healthiest way that you can mm-hmm. that says I belong here I should be treated fairly I'm going to love everybody that comes across my path and if somebody chooses not to do that for me then that's that's their loss not mine yeah um so let's go there I there's we when we look into scripture right um, we see a God who, loved us so much that came to earth, entered our world to walk and live among us and die even for the sake of those who despised him. Um, and I, it's hard to reconcile that, Scott. And, I, and I'll just be real honest with you. Growing up in a church that, and I, I love my churches, my, my, the churches that I've served and grown up in um, led me to a knowledge and an understanding and a faith in Jesus. Um, but I, I can't speak to the churches you grew up in. You're, again, your experience has been different than mine, but I'm recognizing now, I didn't as a kid, but even now I'm recognizing that the white church, and this is a broad statement. So um, the white churches I've grown up in, let me, let me kind of clarify that um, and qualify that. Uh never been a place where we've really pushed people to be uncomfortable. And because this is an uncomfortable topic, it's not one we've addressed in our church. Um, 
I would in, in a specific way. Mm-hmm. So we talk about, we've got to love one another. You know, everybody's created in the image of God and we spin it that way. And that's all true. Um, but even not to throw this into categories with other lesser issues, but we don't, I don't remember talking about divorce a lot in churches. I don't remember talking about pornography much in churches, like really uncomfortable topics we we've stand, tend to steer clear of, which is why I think um, my white brothers and sisters, many of whom are having a hard time engaging in this conversation. Um, so I'm grateful, and I want to talk a little bit about this. I'm grateful for for your friendship because it's not always been about this. Right. We've gotten to these topics of conversation because we love and trust one another. Um, uh, let me share just a quick story. Uh, so I've started a, a project on my own. I've got a YouTube channel um, that I've been producing videos since February this year. Um, not related to YFC, but... Um, Scott, you called me the other day or you texted me the other day mm-hmm. and said, um, you know, I've, I was watching your videos and I, I've got some thoughts. Can I share them with you? And my first thought was, oh, no, what did I say? Because it was in the midst of, right, right. of all of this tension and protests right. and riots and stuff. And I'm going, did I say something that was offensive that I didn't intend? Um, and so when we got on the phone, your your comment to me was, I watched this particular video and I noticed something different about you in it, your mannerisms, your whatever. Um, and I just wanted to see if you were okay. And that meant the world to me Mm. because it was a brother reaching out to me to see if I was okay. And there, to my knowledge, there was nothing else beyond that. Um, but we've been able to have conversations about our families. I know that your son uh, is a basketball player at, uh, uh, how do you pronounce it? Lalamere. Lalamere. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I didn't, La Lumineer is what I was going to say. <laughs> I knew that one right. Um, I know he's there to, to develop in his education and, and to grow in his character and to play basketball. And we've had those conversations and your daughter has a cupcake baking business. And I mm-hmm. love that. And you've asked me questions about my kids, right? Mm-hmm. So Let's talk about that for a minute. How has how, how do you feel like those conversations have led to us having really honest conversations about hard and uncomfortable things when normally I might not go there? Yeah. So just having those conversations, I think, allows us to see what we have in common. And as a father, it's really not, it's, there's really not too many roles that are bigger than fatherhood. Mm-hmm. You know, there are, there's no role that I play that's more important than being a father. And so to hear how you're traveling all over the country and have to be <laughs> in four different places at one time, I can relate to that somewhat because I have children with different interests that cause me and my wife to have to, you know, go one direction, one, you know, at one time of the day and another direction, another time of the day. And sometimes, you know, being in two places at the same time <laughs> is part of our daily routine and yeah. trying to keep up with the interests that our children have. And so to hear that in your story, uh, just it, it's endearing and it's something that I admire because, like I said, father fatherhood is something that is crucial and it's, it's, it's definitely a point of connection that we, that we share. Mm-hmm. So just finding, 
finding what more of the similarities between us Mm -hmm. uh, has led to discussions of how our experiences are different. Mm -hmm. Um, And it puts me in a place of, for me anyway, puts me in a place of understanding more. Um, And I would, I would guess the same for you understanding kind of, kind of my upbringing and Mm -hmm. my family and all that. So um, again, just an encouragement to people listening, like, pay attention and listen to people that are not like you mm-hmm. um, because there's probably a lot more like you than you think they are. Exactly. Cause all we see are the differences initially. Mm-hmm. So Scott, I want to transition a little bit because as believers, as followers of Jesus, he calls us to more. He calls us to, uh, to love one another. He calls us to the ministry of reconciliation, which I want to get to. Um, but this, this conversation, I think is necessary and it makes sense apart from Christ because we are human beings that should care about one another. But when Christ is in the middle of this, this is something we have to engage in. Like it's not a, an ideal. It's it's a have to. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a command to love one another as I have loved you. And so there's there's some scripture that has really been challenging me in recent weeks, um, all from the book of Philippians. I've been spending some time in the book of Philippians. Um, so Philippians 2, that many know is the Christ hymn, it talks about um, in your dealings with one another, consider others as more important than yourself. Following the model of that is Christ Jesus, who being in very nature of God did not count that to his advantage, that he mm-hmm. set it aside. So we talk about privilege. Jesus had it all. Mm-hmm. and willingly, voluntarily gave it up to enter into our world, to experience life the way we experience life, to feel the pain and the heartbreak and the, the joy even that we experience. And he became obedient, even obedient to death on a cross. Mm-hmm. So he entered our world, was not treated well, and he knew that going in and still gave himself up for us. So there's something there that we, I think, in the church, um, again, speaking from my personal experience, we look at that and go, man, that is beautiful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we kind of leave it there. Right. We go, how have I followed that model of, yeah, I can look at Scott and go, um, you know, I want to help you. I want to, your needs are more important than my needs, whatever. It's a head game to me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but when have I entered into your world? Um, and I think we've begun that through conversation, but I think on a grander scale, it never pushes me to action or it hasn't until recently. And then I, I look at Philippians 4 and we, one of everybody's favorite verses, Philippians 4, 13, that talks about, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And we, then we look at the verses before that and we go, yeah, but in context, that's not like I can win the Super Bowl because Jesus is on my side. We look at it and go, you know, I can be content because Mm. I've known what it is to be in want. I've known what it is to have everything and I've learned to be content, but we never go past that. And it smacked me in the face this morning. Philippians 4.14, 4, Paul says to the Philippians, yet it was good mm-hmm. that you entered into my trouble with me. And I'm challenged by that. When have I entered into another's pain, entered into 
another's trouble. And I think that's, you know, in the context of the world we're living in right now, that's where I think we need to get to. Um, where as brothers and sisters in Christ, we can feel each other's pain and step into it because that's what Jesus calls us to. Amen. Um, is there, has there been any passages of scripture that have been speaking to you in this context um, that maybe you've been wrestling with? Well, John 4 is one of my favorite scriptures that I was introduced to during a staff meeting here, mm-hmm. as a matter of fact. And basically, to me, it speaks to the fact that Jesus came to an area that others went around. He broke numerous cultural norms, talking to a woman in public at that time, talking to a woman who didn't, who wasn't Jewish, Mm. uh, a Sumerian, you know, basically outcast. Jesus did not bypass the outcast. He came to bring comfort, healing, and upliftment. And that, for that reason, I feel like I'm a Sumerian. I feel like uh, the area I grew up is Samaria, and I use that verse to just empower myself and and feel as though I'm not forgotten. I'm not an outcast. I belong, and uh, through Christ, I can do all things. I can become uh, CEO. I can become president. I can become successful. I can live the quote-unquote American dream. Mm not because of America, but because I have uh, God's promises on my side, which cannot be denied by anybody other than my disobedience. So if I follow what God has for me to do, I know that his promises will not come back void. And therefore I have a hope that the world can't take away no matter what uh, is, is being shown on TV, no matter what is happening in society. I know that God's promises hold fast for me, and therefore I can use that strength to empower others that might not feel the same way or might not have uh, a relationship with the Lord that they can that they can cling to and derive that same strength from. Mm. Um, that's good. That's good. It, it's fascinating to me. Um, not getting off topic necessarily, but. Um, how different people based on our experiences approach and read scripture differently. And I just, uh, it's valuable to me because I can approach scripture and, and read one thing in John four and then hearing it from your perspective, I, I see it in a whole different light in a whole new light. So um, again, the value of hearing from people on whatever topic it is, whatever the issue is, people that aren't like you, um, or are like you, but read it differently. Right. Even we need each other. Right. Um, so it brings me to one last scripture that I have been, it's kind of, it's been on my mind. I feel like Scott, I've preached a number of times in the last couple of years. I've spoken at conferences and this verse always sneaks its way in. And I don't like, it's something it, it, it just blows me away because I think it's God working in me. It has to be because I can be preaching on the fruit of the spirit. And this verse from 2 Corinthians 5 comes into it at the end about um, the new creation, the, you know, those who are in Christ are a new creation. The old is gone, the right, new is here. Right. Um, and I don't know why that always sneaks its way in until I get beyond that. 
and it says that Christ reconciled us to himself, and he now calls us to the ministry of reconciliation. And we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Mm-hmm. So we represent him on this earth. And if we're not intentional about it, we're representing him poorly. Right. And so that that's hit me really hard in this in this time too of um and then I frame it too. Let me let me backtrack a little bit. Um it's Instagram posts, social media posts, there's articles written about it. The church is all about John 13, 34, that Jesus says, a new command I give you to love one another as I have loved you, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, 100%. But we don't often get to as he loved us. Mm -hmm. We get to love one another. And unfortunately, I think in our American culture, love has lost its power. Wow. Meaning love is an action. Mm -hmm. And we read love as an emotion. And when we read love as an emotion, we can do it from a distance. And 2 Corinthians calls us to be ministers of reconciliation that cannot be done from a distance. It has to be done up close. It has to be done in relationship. Get up, get up. Thanks for listening to the Ministry Leader Podcast. This has been a fun conversation and difficult at times, if I'm being honest, to have. And we hope it's been helpful for you as you consider how you engage your community in conversations around these issues. But this is only the first half of the conversation. Next week, we transition and we discuss how we can begin to engage young people in our ministries and in our communities in these same conversations. We believe young people have lots of passion and lots of drive. And if we can help steer them and guide them in the right direction, we believe that change can happen in their generation with their leadership. So be sure to tune in next week as we have that part of the conversation.